So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have it, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the Father, as we consider your word this morning, we thank you first of all for our time of worship that you have brought hearts and minds to your glory and your holiness and your, your work in our lives. And pray that you would help us today as Pastor Adam preaches to have open hearts that would be shaped by the Spirit's work in them and that we would be, as we've already read, humble and know that you resist the proud and give grace to Help us to have humble hearts to receive your word as we consider how you would have us oversee and worship in this world in Jesus' name. Um, so this morning, <clears throat> I want to continue where we left off from last week. By answering the second of our three preliminary questions, which I think is addressed to you. Um, as ministers, um, we not perfectly, but approximately, uh, we, we try and endeavor after taking such a passage as was just read to you, 1 Peter 5, uh, with a measure of sobriety and seriousness. Others would be converted 
older and wise dating sometimes family terminology. And then in a clear reading of the New Testament, you'll be confused because it seems to be varied terms that seem to describe the same author. Are these various individuals and what terms do we prefer? Pastor, elder, teacher, minister? What, what, what is going on exactly in the term elder within the New Testament? So if you understand when Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, you then can say as a congregate, ah, I understand who those individuals are, and I understand why he would exhort them this way. The answer that we uh, kind of dug out last week in our time together, our first preliminary question we have, what is the term elder in the New Testament? The answer is this, there are simply a handful of terms used to describe different The duties of elders are varied. Um, and you'll look at those as they're accentuated in different texts, whether it is uh, exhorting, whether it's admonishing, whether it's pictured in terms of uh, shepherding, uh, whether it's uh, a, a part of being a steward. Again, the, 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 the duties of minister or elder are various. Yet they are all, all the various duties are comprehended in the one and singular office of ministry. Or term, elder, Once we establish the one office of elder, again, whether it be minister, pastor, teacher, and so on and so forth, the next question becomes, who are they? So, so Peter, we get it, um, he could have used uh, uh, overseer. We said, I work overseer is hungry, and, and he used the term elder. So we get it, so like, okay, so the terms overlay one another, they, they overlap. And he chose at this moment to exhort that same group of people and, and said, I exhort the elders. And so you say, okay, that's I, I get the concept of the term. But now I'm trying to picture who they are. Who are the individuals who comprise this assembly? Again, here I know for you something that is important for us to understand. Um, there, there's a methodological question that needs to be asked. Regarding how to order categories such as sociology, theology, in terms of your ecclesiology. And you're all like, what are all this? Yeah, right, right, right. Well, let's slow down. We're just going to explain to you. When you are understanding who are the elders of a New Testament church, not just, I want to press, not just this church, I mean the church. Who are they? You have a methodological question that you must ask yourself. That is, you have a decision to make 
regarding how you order your three categories of concerns. You have an ordering that needs to take place in your interpretation. Will you, as an individual Christian, prioritize your social relationships and what you learn from them to the spiritual disciplines in the Bible? If I were to say to you sociology for our intents and purposes this morning, I'm talking about relationships between the sexes in terms of social. You're trying to decide, what do I understand about social relationships? Then you're moving on to your theology. What do I understand about the summaries of the doctrines of the Bible? And then how do they apply to the ordering of the church? You see, the reason for assigning an order to these categories is due to the fact that the New Testament prescription for male-only ordination is Again, I'll read that. I, I wish to lay this foundation with you because I'm going to make the case, I hope, in just a couple of moments. Because you're, you're, the, the, the tension in the church today regarding Peter's words, I'm going to exhort the elders, in describing as the New Testament church right here and right now, who are they, to say that they are first Bible. 
It would be this. As confessional ministers, we are committed to taking the Bible seriously, which then requires us to prioritize theology above sociology. In fact, everything is downstream from Scripture. I know that puts us in a certain place. We're viewed often as curmudgeonly knuckle-jacked by that commitment. But it, again, And I want to note this ordering of categories to you that you're making them, I'm making them, you have to make them so that you can understand that coming to the conclusion that ordination is reserved for men is not due. Again, you, you'll then judge and decide for yourself if it is or it is not. I hope to make the case to prove what I am now saying. That to draw the conclusion here at Redeemer, that ordination is reserved in the church for men is not due to a weird desire to be abusive, rude, unkind, misogynistic, overly inflated, patriarchal, or some sort of female phobia. question of who are the elders of First Peter 5, and then under the assumption the other layer of who we are to be, I said firstly what we do know of them is they were men. I wish to help you see this, and there's numerous passages we could go to, but I want you to turn, please, if you have a text, please do so, so that you can see the, 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 the statements in the text. Turn, if you would, please, First Corinthians 14. Um, again, I, I, I want you to turn if you're able, because I'm going to make an argument that then you can weigh based upon the information that is provided both to you and to me, and we're both looking at the same text, and then we can decide: Are we playing word games, or are we doing word salad? Are we performing and putting something on it, a, a, a social construction of our own that is antiquated and we're forcing on that? We, we can make all these decisions if we look at the text. My argument is that we fully know what we are I wish you could see it. First Corinthians 14. I'll read this to the text, beginning um, in verse 26. And you notice if you have an in your English translation, it might perhaps say something about church organizations or orderly gatherings or gatherings or orderly worship. But this particular section of the text is called the working man. Let me make sure it's quite accurate for you. And it continues towards the end. It is the orderliness of the Christian church. Let me describe how it is described. And situated in that gathering is the church for which I do care to work. This section here, notice verse 26. Watch that, draw this. And here's your, uh, your, your indicator to uh, your working man, your pastor. When you come together, so once you go 
point within the organization of the church and state. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a song, an interpretation. One of the things we know for the Roman Empire uh, is any speak in a song, let there be only two, or at most three, and speak in turn, and, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and keep themselves silent. Here's where I want you to pick up. We're now in the ordering of when we come together as a church. And now we're zeroing in on what we need to take note of first. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the other weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. We can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn, all be encouraged. Notice very carefully now, as we walk through verse 29, he's speaking about prophets who are speaking in this congregation. This congregation is gathering, prophets are speaking. He then tells them, verse 32, and the spirit of prophets are subject to prophecy. For God is not about confusion, but of peace. Now, four observations I want us to make from this text that will continue to unpack verse 33 and into 34. There are four main observations I want us to make this morning about the ordering of the church as we learn it from this text right here. And there is number one, the very first observation we need to make is the office of Again, you know that the office is there because let two or three prophets speak. Let the others, that is prophets, weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And, and by the way, the, the spirits of prophets, individuals prophesying, are what? Subject to prophecy. at the end of verse 32. There's a class of prophets. And not only do these prophets then speak, but then they ensure that whatever was said was God's authoritatively in the church. If you go to Ephesians 4, which I read to you uh, a week or two ago, and you read down the last week, there's gifts given to the church. Do you notice the list of the church apostles and then he says, earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's uh, verse 28, he lists them again, and God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second, so what we have here in the church, the orderly gathering, is individual spirits are prophesying. I have a prophecy. I want to share this prophecy. Okay, whoa, 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 slow down. We need to do things orderly, and we need to have someone interpret this to ensure what? Whether this word of prophecy is God's authoritative speech. Because remember, prophecies are what? God's authoritative speech in the church. 
so, so, so what can we do to ensure that what this prophecy is, is God's authoritative speech in the church? These spiritual prophets, individuals prophesying, are subject to who? will emerge in this very next passage, right within this context. Who's allowed to speak in the church? together, and women somehow are not enabled to share their opinions regarding a variety of church matters, over which the congregation will even have to deliberate and even vote. This is not at all what Paul is describing. Women, members, in good standing, are well within their rights to speak to the issues such as any number of issues like finances, 
how the money should be spent, allocated, where the money has gone, how much is coming in, buildings first. Should we buy? Should we rent? How should we handle it? Hey, women be silent. Men, what are you doing? Again, when you think meeting time, uh, oh, well, mom, should we meet at 10? Or well, when does your child sleep? Should it be 11? Is it more obnoxious to meet at 1? Never mind, I can see you. Wouldn't it be silent?
think that we can do well moves us to make other choices um, that are not grounded in the
was wondering uh, what our intentions were for um, uh, uh, live streaming. Ask your husband at home.